Hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we speak with Leticia Levenu. Some of the things we discuss are how to create language routines, how to be excellent in your target language, and also how to get through stumbling blocks like perfectionism. So let's get started. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 93. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, language learners. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bruckner, and I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, founder of the Fluent in Three Months blog. Hey, hey. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Leticia Lenevi, one of our community coaches at Fluent in Three Months Challenge. Welcome to the show, Leticia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let, let's get, kick it off with you telling us your, your own side of like, how did you get into languages and uh, how has it been influential in your life? Like many people in Europe, I studied languages, well, at least in France from junior high school. And actually, I got the chance to, that's when they were starting to experiment teaching languages uh, in primary school, actually. And so they came up to me and in my little town, they were like, oh, you can do English or you can do German. At first, I I thought, oh, well, I'm going to do English because everyone wanted to do English. So like out of 20 students, 15 were like, oh, I'm going to do English, of course. And five were like, I want to try German because everyone said German is hard. And, you know, so I did English and I was like, I thought it was amazing when I learned what a couple words to say hi my name is colors stuff like that but then I realized there's 15 people in the class so if I'm lucky I get to speak two words and I was quite shy and I was like yeah but I actually want to try and say it it's fun and so it's kind of one of the reasons why I switched over to German because I was like oh they always come back and they seem to have so much fun like like really they really come back and they were learning songs they were like yeah the teacher is so great and I was like huh, okay. And my mom was like, oh, do it, do it. You know, the smarter kids learn German. I'm like, well, okay, my mom is okay with it, so I'll do it. And I had the best experience ever. So my German teacher is what began like my love for languages because he was really onto speaking. So he would just have a stand up and repeat whatever he was saying and doing it in some kind of games and, you know, exchange. So we just go over and like, just shake hands and just saying, Morgen, guten Morgen. And so, okay. And we learned like, I don't know how many songs for like random things, you know, but as a kid, I was like, oh, that is amazing. I love it. And so I continued with him to do German. And it was like that my whole, my entire like junior high, I was with him for five years and I really, really loved it. And I think that just, you know, just seeing that I was able to communicate with people and just do things with it. I was like, oh, that, that is great. And so from then, because I took anything, if in, in France, if you study as a first foreign language, anything else in English, then your second language is English because like the rest of the world, you have to learn English. So I took that and I was actually, I didn't like English at all. <laughs> so I thought the, the, the classes were boring. It was, yeah, we have a textbook and, you know, we're, we're going to see in France, uh, you, you follow this family uh, you follow Brian and his family and Brian has a sister who's always in the bathroom for some reason while Brian is in the kitchen. Not really fascinating. And I actually found myself just staying with English because it opened a new world because it was right at the time where like internet was becoming a thing. And I started getting into animes, but there were not so much content like in French, but I found a lot in English. And I was like, I want to understand what this is because I'm interested in it. And that's how I got, I got more interested and more invested into English through fan fiction, actually. (laughs) And yeah, from then on, I was just like, oh, oh, what do you want to study? I don't know. I like languages. I'm going to study languages because I like them. So when I got the opportunity in high school to do a third language or another option, I could have taken chemistry, uh, economics, whatever. I was like, no, I'm going to do Russian because why not? (laughs) So I did Russian for three years, which got me to like, you know, pretty basic level, but I liked it. And then I, I went on to university and I was like, hmm, what am I going to do? Because I came out of, uh, with my A-level, I have a French A-level and a German A-level. And my teachers were like, oh, don't go do a bachelor degree in German. You're going to be bored because the, the entrance level is B1. You're way above that. So do something else and keep German if you want to keep it. 
And so I was like, okay, I'll do Japanese because I've been trying to learn that on my own and it's not been very successful. So, so I went on to Japanese and I actually made it my major for three years. Then I realized I needed to be employable. So I switched gears and I did international relations on the side. And that's what got me to actually now being in Japan and working in Japan because I work as a coordinator for international relations. I just love having a polyglot on the podcast. One of the things that you mentioned was the importance of an inspiring tutor, an inspiring teacher. And I think that that's something that language learners, when they first start out, don't realize how essential it is. So now as a polyglot that's learning languages, when you go to Preply or italki and you're looking for a tutor, how do you know, what are the key elements that you're looking for in terms of a tutor that's going to inspire you to continue learning? That's a tricky question because, so I mainly use italki. And the thing is, Someone pointed it out to me, and it is true, but you never see a rating that's below five, or like maybe four. So yes, there are ratings, but you can't really like base yourself on that to, to choose a teacher. So I always make sure, first of all, I go through their videos. Like I look at their videos, how they're made, and if I connect with that person or not. So when I did my first uh, Flinty in Three Months Challenge, I did it in Vietnamese, which was completely new for me. So I didn't know what to expect. I went on to italki. I'm like, okay, Vietnamese tutors, 111 people. Wow. Okay. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> and so from then on, after narrowing it down to my time zone, first of all, then I looked a little bit at some of the videos and what people were saying in their introduction, because I feel some people will fill it out very professionally. So I, I know that you know how to teach, but I don't know who you are and I need to know who you are. And if our personalities are going to match or not, because if I feel like I have to come and it's like, oh my God, I didn't do my homework. They're going to be mad at me. I want someone that I can be close to, that I can relate to. So a lot of my um, tutors are like people that I can talk about anything with. So my Vietnamese tutors, for instance, Ian, she made a video that had the, the quirkiest like edits in it and be like, oh, here's how we can like learn together. We can do more grammar stuff if you want to. I have some, you know, structured lesson, but also if you just want to talk, it's fine. If you go fast, good. If you want to go slow, we can do that too. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Like she sounded nice. Like I looked at her video and I was like, oh, okay. I want to get to know this person. And then I read her bio and her the first thing she wrote was, I'm an introvert with very good communication skills. Okay, well, I'm an extrovert, so, <laughs> you know, let's let's go with that. And I've kept with her for like almost two years now, just because, you know, it's talking to a friend, what's been happening in your life, how are things going? And I feel like I can, I don't have to, to be in that formal, like, this is the teacher and this is me. I don't do well in that kind of environment because it doesn't make me want to speak and express myself more. Whereas here, it's like, okay. Then I would say it's kind of also, depending on the language you're doing, uh, for Vietnamese, I was looking for people that did put an emphasis on, oh, I'm strict on tones, because I knew that was something that if you don't get the tones down, no one understands you. <laughs> it's terrible. Just look at you like, what about my horse? <laughs> that is not what I meant. So yeah, she was, she was very good with me for that at the beginning. And for Russian, for instance, Russian has like so much grammar that's like so complicated. And I, was, I need someone that's going to help me work through it because I'm not the type that takes a grammar book and does drills. That is not me. But also I want them to make it fun. So the first teacher I found, literally she had like game lessons in her name. And her intro video was five tips to, to find a good like teacher. And I was like, oh, Interesting. And that was completely different from the rest of the Russian tutors who were very, very professional, but also very impersonal. That's kind of like something I found. So there's a little bit of, I need to have that connection personally. And then there's what I'm looking for, depending on the language that I'm studying. So given your uh, background that you already had experience in learning languages, what uh, enticed you to join the Fluent in Three Months Challenge? <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, I'm actually, I've been on the fence for doing it for a while. Uh, I've actually been following your blog, Benny, for like since 2014 or something like that. Uh, I've read your book, you know, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, I'd love to do a challenge one day. But like most people, I'm like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then, you know, 2020 hit and I was like, well, you know, most of the stuff I usually do is not there. 
And I was like, you know what? Like, why why do I always look at things like before I was a student? So of course, when you're going to spend money, you think, ooh, I got to think about that. I'm like, I'm working now. What am I thinking about? If I want to spend money to do a language challenge, I should, because that's probably something that's fun. And so I was like, okay, I'll just do this. Because I always thought I've tried after my bachelor degree to learn other languages. I doubled in Korean. I doubled in Dutch. You know, I wanted to pick uh, Russian back up and I never really did. I I did a little bit, but never went anywhere. And I thought, you know what? That's probably the the little like kick in the butt that I need. It's going to be okay. Like I have accountability because this is a challenge and I know that I will have things to do, not entirely planned, but I know like, hey, you got videos to do. There are other people's. You cannot just be like, eh, yeah, I started, but. (laughs) So that was, yeah, that was my first reason. And then I stayed for the community because I was like, this is amazing. Like I found my tribe. (laughs) It's the secret sauce, isn't it? Our community, this idea that you can get into the online forum with people you know. It's not like Reddit where it's just one anonymous person writing something. It's people you know and you've been through a challenge with or they have been through another challenge in the alumni. And then you connect. And when you're excited about something in language learning, you can share that with your tribe and they get it. Whereas I love my husband thinks it's really cool that I'm learning languages, but he does not need to know the word for window in every single language that I am learning. He just, it's not that interesting to him, but it might be really interesting to my peeps. So you went from challenger and you were such a a force to be reckoned with in terms of community building, in terms of connecting, because you already had a ton of experience as a language learner. And so as an assistant coach, when we have a challenger write us and go, I can't do this and they're doing it privately, I often say, here's my answer. Here's what I would recommend you do. But I also recommend you put your question in the questions channel because there are people like Leticia that are just waiting to help that have four or five languages under their belt and have done a lot of the ups and downs. So as a community coach, which is what you are now, one of our guiding lights in the challenge, what would you say are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that you see beginner language language learners doing and how would you recommend they help they get past those? I would say one that's very common and that I see also outside of the Flanagan Thrones community with people around me is expecting learning to be passive because that's how we were taught in school. So in a lot of countries, I mean, I've seen it in France, I've seen it in Japan, way worse, which is you come into an English classroom, it's sit down, listen to the teacher, listen to the tape, whatever. And that's how you learn. People think learning is just receiving. And the thing is, actually, learning is active. You got to figure out, you got to fend for yourself. You got to try things. You got to fail. You're going to fall a lot. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But in the end, you're going to find something that works for you. And I think getting into that mindset of, I got to figure out what the resources are for me. Like people sometimes get really stuck on finding the best resource there is. The reality is there's none, actually. Like there may be one that's good right now and one that be better then, or maybe you're going to use a mix of everything. Maybe you just take a teacher and you just talk, 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 and talk to people. And like, I've seen challengers like that, that just go on the street because they're in that country and they go talk to people. That's amazing. I'd never do that if I don't know them, but wow. So it's, it's really understanding that it's about you and taking the time to sit down and be like, okay, what kind of learner am I? Because we're never asked that in school. We were just asked to sit down, get the get the information and just spit it out on a desk is basically what we're asked to do in a lot of schools. And right now it's like, they come into the challenge and we're like, well, here's the frame of the challenge, but you can learn however way you want. No one's telling them, take a tutor, do this, do that. It's like, you can try and do this. We never push on people a certain method. So I know that for a lot of people, it's very confusing, but actually like taking the time to, to learn, you know, learning by trial is actually going to be really effective in the long run. Because once you pick up another language or you want to go a step further with that language, you kind of know like, oh, this is not going to work for me. You're going to look at a textbook and be like, it's not worth my investment. I'm going to open it twice and then it's going to be on the shelf and it's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the second one that I see a lot is perfectionism. We are so mean towards ourselves. It's like, it's crazy. I do it myself too. But the way like people often talk about this is like, you know, I feel like I'm not doing enough progress. I'm not good. But if it were your friend, would you beat them up like that? 
you, you would you would be like come on like if you, okay maybe you haven't done as much progress as you expected but actually hey i think you're more confident or you know you would be nice to your friends so why aren't you nice to yourself and it's we all do that but we expect ourselves i guess also because we're adults to get this right away it's it took us how many years to learn our own language but we're like i'm learning a foreign language I, oh i'm learning i don't know dutch and my native language is german i should get this super quick this is supposed to be close and maybe you're not because because the the grammar is different or just you're struggling to to understand some concept and and it's okay like it will take time it's it's not a race so you just do what you have to do and don't compare yourself to others it's it's pointless because i mean if it motivates you to see people that are doing great by all means but for instance me i never watch anyone's video before i did mine for any of the the videos during the challenge because i don't want to be influenced or start thinking oh, i could have done better than that when actually it's just about recording my progress at that moment in time and all i have to do is turn on the camera and speak. It may not be pretty, but I will do it. And if I start looking at other people, I may be thinking, oh, I should do better than it. It can always be better, honestly. And that's that's the thing French people do a lot is complain about what is because it could be better. Be happy with what there is, you know. Yeah, it could always be better, but it'll never be perfect. It will never be perfect. And one thing that we tend to forget that I was reminded of is even with your native language, there's I had a friend ask me recently, what's after C2? And I'm like, well, <laughs> nothing <laughs> as far as I know. It's like, oh, and I'm like, well, yeah, because C2 is, oh, you can talk about complex, you know, topics about almost anything, but that doesn't mean perfection because no one has that. And I'm like, in reality, most native speakers are somewhere between C1 and C2 because depending if you're not, if you don't have a PhD in a very like complicated, you know, field, there are probably hundreds of words you don't know in your own language. That doesn't mean you're stupid. <laughs> it's just words that you don't need, so you're not learning them. So why do you expect yourself to do everything perfectly in a foreign language? Like, frankly, my French sometimes is not pretty. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't expect anyone else's French to be pretty. <laughs> That's for sure. No, absolutely. And there's thousands of English words that I've been stumped on over the years. And I'm a native English speaker. And there's dialectal differences that have thrown me for a loop. So I'm absolutely of that opinion that you will never reach perfection, even in your native tongue. So you have to keep that mentality in mind. And another thing, another uh, way that you've stood ahead uh, from the crowd is that you have a bit more of a, a technical know-how, uh, which you've integrated into your languages. So like as a coach and as a language learner, you embrace technology a bit more. What kind of technical skills have helped you most? Can you talk to us about that a bit? I guess because we all come from different backgrounds, also not being afraid of trying new things. So for instance, some challengers come and I mean, they're, the, the computer is not their best friend. It just happens, right? So some people are just technology challenge a little bit and it's fine, but I can understand that for them, it's even more difficult to be like, okay, I'm going to do an italki session, but how does that work? How do I get that running? So just being really like supportive and be like, hey, here are the steps on how to use this or how to use Slack and make things happen. But I also know that those are people that I would not give certain resources to work with. For, so for instance, I found a lot of resources on Discord. And Discord is, can be a great place for language learning because there are Discord servers in every languages. But if you've never used anything like that and you're already overwhelmed by Slack, there's no way you're going to use Discord. Discord is even overwhelming for me. I'm just like, oh my God. Discord is like, imagine you're at a party, you're in a room, you get, I don't know, you go to the bathroom, you come back and everyone is rewinding to give you the whole conversation that happened that you missed. That's Discord in a nutshell. Cause you come back and there's the whole thread, like just, oh my God. <laughs> even I was like, I'm just going to take what I need and then I'm going to, I'm going to step out because <laughs> this is intense. So. I've used a lot of that. I've used a lot of apps, even though I don't necessarily like, I think they're, they're, they're fun. They're good. Like they're, you cannot build your entire like learning on apps, but they're a good way to like, when I have really, really like low days, you know, and I'm like, work was like, I had so much to do. I'm just so tired. I'm going to do a bit of Duolingo, you know, it's at least I'm keeping in touch and that's very important. And another tool that I use that a lot of people are a little bit afraid to use was learning with text. 
because everyone says, yeah, it's a bit technical to install, which it is, but I had to because I was learning Vietnamese and Link doesn't have Vietnamese. And I was like, yeah, but I really like the concept. That's awesome. But, oh, well, there's this tool that does it and that's free. Okay, let me try and figure out how this works. And it's it's not always easy, but I find that like, I, I like also like that technological aspect of like touching into things and like trying out things and, you know, it won't explode, so it's fine. <laughs> I'll try it. But I also know it's not for everyone. Being focused on one tool and trying it, it it brings the image to mind of a person in a cave with a headlamp. And like you're just looking at one particular spot on the wall. So sometimes beginner learners will um, write me and be like, you know, everybody's mentioning that these 40 different resources and which one do I use? And I'm like, yes, use one. Yes. Which one? Yes. Whatever one you want. Invest just a bit of time to see if you love it or hate it. So if I'm not throwing a tool out the window, I will probably keep it for three months. But if I don't want to wake up in the morning because I know I have to do that tool every Wednesday, that's the tool I need to chuck. That's how I am able to decide. So this idea of like staying focused, but also being really flexible with some things that work and some things that don't work. Speaking of things that work, your English is exceptional. I mean, I see it in written word, but when I hear you speak, I want to speak like you in English. <laughs> see that. <laughs> that, that You're fluid. okay. I'm all right. I'm all right sometimes. It's a little <laughs> early. So here's my question, because I know the um, audience would love to know this. How do you use English on a daily basis? And I'm going to use English just because we see an example of how well you're speaking it. How are you keeping that a living, breathing language for you? And how did you get past just um, looking at anime, that passive listening, watching TV, and actually finding other people in France that want to speak to you in English? So to be honest, I didn't find a lot of people that wanted to talk to me in English and France. <laughs> so I'm going to start by that because uh, when I switched my major to international relations, actually half my classes were in English because it's international relations. So you're expected to know foreign languages. So I had classes in English, classes in German. And I think that was the first time in my life where I actually had to use it outside of the classroom. Like really to express my ideas, give opinions, you know, ask questions to the teacher that was giving us a lecture. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, what did you just say? I, I completely like missed it. And afterwards, when I came to Japan, so I'm actually here through the JET program, which is originally the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. So they have a lot of assistant language teachers and Japan is very hell-bent on getting native speakers. So 90% of the 90, well, maybe 85% of the teachers are from America, which meant when I arrived in my little town in the middle of nowhere, I met the community and most of the community was from the States. And that's the first time where people are like, oh, I want to get to know you. And I was in the more casual environment. It wasn't a class. It wasn't, you know, people were like, oh, where'd you come from? What's your name? You know, where I met people that were struggling to say my name, you know, <laughs> which I wasn't used to. So that's really when like I picked up a lot also of like, maybe the little expressions or the intonation, the accent, because I mimic a lot of stuff from uh, people that I really bonded with and that I talk to a lot. I'm just a parent. So <laughs> that's if, if, if my friend was someone from the South with a very strong Southern accent, I would have a Southern accent. She just happened to be from New York. So <laughs> yeah, the other part of the question was, how do I keep it? Well, I mean, English is not too hard to keep up with because there's a lot of content in English. There's just a lot. So besides the fact that I translate a lot into English for my work, actually more than I do into French, most of the podcasts I listen to are in English. Most of the TV series I watch are in English just because there's, there's so much content. So for me, just listening and reading, I read in a lot of my languages to keep them up for those that have a high level. Because... Yeah, I won't search for all the words, but maybe if I see a word enough times, okay, it bugs me and then I'll, I will look it up. But I'm the kind of person, if I can have like, let's say 60% or above, I'll just go through the pages. <laughs> Whatever. Then maybe I'll get back to it. Oh, I did miss that detail. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, mostly it's uh, a lot of reading because that's something that I enjoy and a lot of uh, TV shows because TV shows are awesome. So that's the English side of things. But of course, we're talking to you today while you're in Japan. So how did you take your theoretical like studies of Japanese and even things like italki lessons and turn that into integrating yourself into the culture and the country and making contacts there? Because it's a very different 
culture to European ones. So it's a, a big adjustment. How did you make that adjustment and use your languages in combination with that? Well, I would say with Japanese, yeah, I had a very technical knowledge of it for a long time. But for me, having language exchange did help a lot. While I was at university, I had one or two like language exchange partners because my university used to have a lot of partnerships with Japanese universities. So every year we'll get like 30 to 50 Japanese students who come to France with like an A2, B1 level, if they're lucky. So they're really looking for someone they can talk to. And I was like, well, kind of when I try and use all this grammar and all this vocabulary they've been teaching me. So that's how I started getting into using it. And I was like, oh, there's a gap (laughs) between what I've been taught and what people actually say. And from then on, I actually ended up working at a Japanese restaurant in France, but that was owned by a Japanese person. And when I came in, the whole staff was Japanese. So all of a sudden, I stepped foot into the store and it's like I'm in Japan because everyone was shooting orders and stuff to do in Japanese. And I was just like... (gasps) And to be frank, so I arrived a bit in advance for my first day. And so he introduces me to another coworker. I was like, oh, here's Kobayashi-san. And so she, she says, hello to me and like, nice to meet you. And I blanked. I was like, what do I say? And she said the most basic thing, right? She said, nice to meet you. I just had to repeat that. I was just like, and I just bowed down like, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God, is she going to be okay? And I think just having to have to speak. I was in that environment where, yeah, when an order comes in, you cannot be like, uh, for five minutes because that person wants to eat. But if you don't tell the cook who only speaks Japanese that that's what he has to make, then nothing happens. And because it's a lot of the same phrases again and again that you say and that you hear, that got me into just using it. Like it was probably very incorrect at the beginning and nobody cared because Japanese people, contrary to a lot of beliefs, yes, their language is difficult, but they're the first ones to know about it. So when they hear you try and speak their language, even if it's you messed up the particles and like the word order is like, they will try because they see you're trying. And if it's their only way to talk to you, they don't speak any other language of their own, they will try and talk to you. And they're also not very like when they speak, they're not very strict about sentence structure and grammar and a lot of a lot of the stuff that you actually see in the textbook they just kind of goes out the window i legitimately have friends that speak incorrectly like the grammar is incorrect and i was just whoa <laughs> that was <laughs> that surprised me there but it's a fact of life and people still understand what they're saying so you're like well, okay I'll, I'll take that that means i'm i'm okay if i if i make a mistake and they're never gonna call you out on it too so take that as an advantage But when I came to Japan, the reality is I had this certain level of Japanese. They asked me, oh, you need to have like a JLPT, which is the language test. But that doesn't mean you are able to use it. That's approximately like a B2, C1. But just because you have that, there is no like uh, written section and there's no oral section. So they have no idea how you can speak and how you can write. My writing was terrible. The first time I wrote something and I gave it to my supervisor, And I was like, well, I think you need to check the Japanese. She gave it back to me. Oh, wow. There was so much red pen. I was like, that hurts. After like five plus years of studying that language. But the reality is where I live, a lot of people don't even speak English or they speak like a couple words. And so they saw me coming and yeah, my Japanese wasn't perfect, but I was trying to talk to them and I could understand them pretty well. So I had to, it was kind of a little bit the same. So I realized that when I wanted to say something to my teacher, with my friends, I could always kind of Englishize stuff and like make it sound Japanese and be like, oh, I see what you mean. It's that word. With my colleagues, I cannot do that. They don't know that word in English. They don't know what it means. So I had to explain it. I had to find a way to, uh, you know, it's that thing when we do that and we do this. And, and I guess it just, for them seeing that I was making a lot of effort, to, to just try and talk to them, that did reassure them a lot. Because one of the reasons why Japanese people can seem a little bit distant is because they have no confidence whatsoever in their English ability. You will see a lot of people tell you, I speak no English at all and say it with a perfect accent because they've only been drilled to do perfectly and they know they're not perfect. So it's not okay. Whereas actually, no, they're okay, but they're just afraid to not be able to communicate with you. So when they see you speak Japanese, it's actually easier to make friends with them. There's that. And I guess also because I live in Japan, just doing things within the community. So going to the, there's a lot of local events, well, pre-corona. So there's like a cleanup of my neighborhood 
every six months, for instance. You just get it in your mailbox so you can translate the whole paper and it says, oh, show up at this park at 8.30 and we'll give you trash bags and stuff to clean up. And so you get to meet the, the locals, uh, your neighbors, you know, like always saying hi to them. When they see your face over and over again, especially the elderly, they will be like, so where'd you come from? <laughs> they really come like close to your face and be like, oh, I've had people be like, English? And I'm like, no, actually I'm French. <laughs> oh, really? What are you doing here? Oh, you speak Japanese. So just showing that you're interested in the culture, which is so different and so diverse, right? It's, I mean, you can take cooking classes, you can learn an instrument, you can learn any type of traditional, like Japanese traditional, like art form while you're in Japan. So if you do that, then people get to know you. And because they know you, it's a very tight community. They have this great community feeling, which means once they know you and they're like, oh, actually, you know, I've talked to her. She's really nice. Let me introduce you. And then you get from one person to the other. And all of a sudden, you know, like half your neighborhood, even if you don't remember their name. <laughs> but definitely yeah, having Japanese as a language helped because I think that's something that Japanese people and French people have in common. The reason why they don't talk to, to foreigners or will revert back to another language. Like I know a lot of people told me, oh, I went to France like three years ago and I tried speaking to them in English and they just backed away and replied in French. And I'm like, that's probably because they don't feel confident about it because they think, oh, there's no way I can, oh, oh my God, this person speaks really fast. And oh, what's the word for that again? Oh, I fuck, oh my, oh, let me not deal with that. And Japanese people are the same. They be, I don't want to be responsible if I tell you something wrong because I confuse left and right, <laughs> basically. And it's, we're not used to that because a lot of us, we think like, well, yeah, you want to be helpful and we'll try and make it work. But it's also very cultural. So once you understand that and you make one step, you know, forward and be like, Ah, konnichiwa. And they're like, oh, oh, like, and they'll be super quick, you know, to just, oh my God, your Japanese is so good. You say two words, you know, but it's, you know, that's, that's the little thing. So just keep trying and like talking to them and you do end up cracking the shell, cracking up the shell. I love this idea of just trying to connect with other people and how once you extend a hand, 95% of the time, the person will extend the hand back in terms of language learning. So I've often heard, oh, when you go to speak to people in France, they don't like it when you use the language. I've never experienced that. It might be because I have this gigantic American smile. I'm so excited to be speaking French that they kind of treat me like a grown-up toddler, which I don't care because that's about <laughs> my level of speaking when I'm, when I'm excited. But one of the sweetest moments I had in France was I was told by a French native that when you walk into a restaurant and there's only like one or two people sitting at the tables that you just say bonsoir like you just walk by and acknowledge the one table that's there and so I did that with my husband he's like what are you doing because you never do that in America you would be considered someone that might be stalking or going to steal something later so I did it and I'm like no 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 trust me they said this and so I could hear them practicing their English at the table before they left we were saying to okay okay have a good day have a good day. And then they came over and said, have a good day. And then I started speaking French to them and they invited us to dinner the next night at their home. And it was the sweetest couple. They spoke no, really no English except for have a good day. But had I not tried, had I not been okay with being, maybe it was, that was an American restaurant and they would have thought I was weird, but just attempting to make that connection. This idea of tutoring versus language exchange versus immersion, which is what you're talking about. Some people that are listening, if they haven't been listening long, don't know that a language exchange is where you're paying with your time. So Leticia speaks French, I speak English. We spend 30 minutes speaking in French and 30 minutes speaking in English. What I didn't know about language exchange is that it starts out as a transaction. And if you stick with it for a year or two, these become some of your best friends. Like Paolo in Belgium is one of my best friends. I love hearing about his grandkids and what his life was like in Sardinia when he was growing up. So my question to you is, how do you create effective language exchanges? Because the, the immersion, the idea of volunteering to clean up, that is brilliant. We, we talked about tutors, but how do you pick your language exchange partners? How do you know when it's one that's going to work? And what do you talk about when you start a language exchange? I would say don't make it about what you're studying. So I've, I've seen people do that when I was in university, but basically they would do a language exchange and be like, hey, this came up in my class, I don't understand. Which, I mean, you can do, but then it makes it really formal. So all my language exchanges are like, hey, how are you doing? How's your niece? How is this? How's We're very personal very quickly. 
So when I was in France and I was having like a lot of like language exchange with Japanese people, what we would do would also be, hey, I've been in this town for, you know, two, three years now. Do you want me to show you this great place on Saturday? Like show them around. Be like, hey, next time, instead of meeting on campus, let's go to, to this cafe. I really like it. You'll see, like they have a great latte. Show them a part of like your culture, a part of you, because people respond well to that. If you're like, all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, actually I'm, I'm, I'm a big geek. Like I, I really love like video games and maybe you will be surprised, but actually me too. What are you playing right now? And you need to bond with the person. So even if your interests are different, I feel like always, yeah, maybe if, you, if you've been in that town forever, show them around, show them your favorite places, the places you like to go. If both of you like to take a walk, why not have your language exchange walking? You're just walking and talking. It's fine. You do not have during a language exchange to take notes. It's not as demanding as an actual class. It's just you being there, spending time with someone, getting to know them. So it's right now, like most of the people I have exchanges with, like, I, I know their life. So next time I see Sharon, for instance, I'll be like, oh, how's your family? You know, oh, how's your, how's your son, etc. And she'd be like, oh, how's your niece? Because she knows I have a niece. So it's the little things. Like, oh, how is that thing going? Like at work, you were working on that project, right? So how is it going? And I feel I do a little bit the same with my teachers. Like I, I, I talk to anything uh, about anything to my Italki teachers. So they know, they, they know the nitty gritty, the stuff that just got me like so like angry that day because whoever was not doing it right or they know. <laughs> but that's also why I'm like happy to see them because I'm like, well, you know, even if I don't know what to talk about because I shared some things, they're also coming up with things to talk about. Oh, uh, oh yeah, you mentioned that last time. Uh, how did that go? Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> so then it just, it's, you get the conversation going just organically. Just don't make it too formal. Just you're chatting to a friend. If, you, if you're trying to remember when you were in primary school making friends, you know, in the courtyard, how, what would you say to them? Hey, do you want to play with me? Well, you know, just find something you like to do and do it together, but in your target language, obviously. Uh, so la languages have been such a central aspect of your life that while you were doing the challenge, you were also working full time, of course. So this is a lot to take on at once. And you, I think you mentioned that you were dealing with like getting close to burnout. And how did you work through that and combat burnout when it can be such a, a big issue with intensive learning projects? The reality is when I did my first challenge, it was like perfect timing because it was, you know, like, oh, not too much work. I knew I would have time for language learning. Awesome. I do my second challenge. Worst time of the year. Like I think I did from uh, yeah, September, October, November. And those were the times of the year where everyone is like, oh, my God, like there's all those projects to finish. And all of a sudden there's stuff on your desk and you're like, what? You need that for tomorrow? Excuse me? <laughs> like, this is not happening. My goal is always the lowest. My goal is always set at 30 minutes a day because I figure I can always do more. But if it's going to be a tough day, well, you know what? I'm just going to do some Duolingo for 15 minutes, do some jobs, maybe watch a YouTube video. And that's it. You know, it, it might just be like one episode of a TV show I'm watching. That's, that, that'll do it. It's not the best, but that'll do it. And for me, it was really hard because, yeah, when I realized like, yeah, no, I cannot, I have these expectations. I always want to do those crazy videos where I'm like, I've always dreamt of doing a, a cooking video in my target language, but it's so much work because I want it to look good and I want to edit it. And then I'm like, why, why do I do that to myself? And then I had to take a step back and be like, you know what? This is going to be very humbling for me because I'm just going to have to learn to do what I can and this will have to do. And it was perfectly fine. In my standards, I was like, ah, that is not terrible. And then I posted my videos in the community. People were like, oh my God, like you sound so great. And one of my italki tutors actually saw some of my videos. And the videos that I, the, I think my day 60, I didn't even prepare anything. I was just like, you know what? I got to get this done. Turn on the camera, speak. And I thought, oh, this sounds horrendous. It's probably a bajillion like mistakes and, and whatnot. And she said, you know what? I think this video is better because you have more flow to your speaking, to your speech. You just, because you did not prepare, you thought from your head and usually you have the good instincts. And I was like, oh, wait, okay. Because I, I could still be negative about it. 
and be like, well, the people in the community, of course, they're not going to tell me you suck. You know, they, they want to support me. It's kind of like when your mom says, yes, great drawing. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, you're my mom. You're not going to say it's ugly. But my teacher is saying that, okay, she's actually the professional and Russians are also pretty direct. So if they think it's not terrible, they'll tell you. <laughs> like they, they'll let you know. They will try and soften the blow, but the reality, they're going to, your accent is terrible. <laughs> they, they just say it. So I was like, huh, I guess... I guess it's not that terrible, you know? So for me, a big thing was take a step back and just stop having expectations. Being like, oh, I want to do this great. I'll do that thing one day, you know? Yeah, I'll do that, that cooking video in Russian one day. Don't worry, it's, it's going to get done. But maybe it'll be three years. And you know what? It's fine. Right now, I'm trying to go through that challenge because I wanted to push myself. And I've also learned that this is not the best period of the year for me. So when I take on a challenge at the end of the year, I cannot expect myself to do as great as when I do it around like March, because this is a low like period for me intensity wise. So just learning to adjust what your expectations, because we always have expectations that are so high for ourselves. That's why though? Why? It's not like when I finish this, I'm not going to do any Russian anymore. I still kept with it and I still do things from time to time. So don't focus about the, the, the right now, how it feels. Just take time and be gentle to yourself. I had so many people tell me, hey, be gentle to yourself. You know, it's, it's okay. Like the reason why we have yay nays is because nays happen. <laughs> they just do. Like having like a, a no nays at all is either, well, maybe you have a very low goal for the time that you have and you could make it more intense if you wish to, because you do not have to. Or you have a lot of nays and that means maybe your expectations are too high. You're just putting too much on yourself and you're not realizing that besides that, you have your work, you have maybe your family duties, you have a lot of things that come to mind. Like, for instance, end of the year, I live abroad. That means thinking about presents, so I send them in advance so they come in time for Christmas. This is little things that you think, I'm not going to stress out about that. Yes, you are, because it's, it's on your mind and it just adds up. So really like that and talk about, because realizing that I was not far from burnout was when I actually posted about it. And someone told me, well, from the look of it, you sound like, you know, you're kind of burning out here. Maybe you should slow down. And the fact that they wrote it like as is, huh, I guess you're right. <laughs> That's now that you see it, you know, because it's harder to see when, when you're in it yourself. You, you don't see it. You just, hmm. No, I'm, f- I'm fine. I, c- I, c- I can go. I can grind. Stop grinding. This is something really bad about our culture. Stop grinding. You don't need to. Just enjoy the process. And sometimes it's a high. Sometimes sometimes it's a low. And it's okay. We need to get you a t-shirt, Leticia. Stop grinding. And then just like quoting you. Because it's so true. I had this idea. Benny was the first polyglot that I had ever seen on the internet because I wasn't a searcher. And so I imagined Benny. And then when I found out that there were other people like Leticia out there that do the same thing, I imagined you guys were doing like getting up at 4am, doing push-ups while brushing your teeth and also learning a language, like nonstop, 24-7, hardcore. Like you were just ingesting grammar books. And I was not going to do that because I don't like that type of life. But what I'm seeing instead, and I see it in my myself too, that once you have a routine, once language learning is a part of your life, it's so not difficult. It's so, it's just like I watch TV at night and I watch it in a different language. That's it sometimes, right? It's what I like to call low hanging fruit. So if there's, you will see um, when I'm in challenges, I always share what I do every day. And sometimes it's just like LHF, low hanging fruit, watched, you know, a series for 30 minutes and that was it. Or maybe a series in the, and read one page before I went to sleep. Um, this is something that I think beginner language learners think we have to carve out stuff. So what are some of the fun ways that language learning pops into your day? Like when you wake up in the morning, do you have some language learning with your coffee? What is, what does that look like? Well, my coffee routine is drops because drops is like five minutes. You just working on vocabulary and it's, it's always nice. Like I really liked it when I began a new language because yeah, I can go to like a topic that I want to know about. Like food is always something I go through all the all the categories because I love talking about food. I love cooking. So I'll just do that while I get ready. I also like to take walks. So I listen, for instance, for German, I just listen to podcasts. 
while I walk. Instead of like listening to music, I will be listening to a podcast in German. I could do literally the same in any other language, but just preparing those little things. So like I habit stack a lot. <laughs> that's that's just the reality of it. So when I'm at work, for instance, lately, we only have one microwave for the entire floor, which is like 50 people. So of course, sometimes there's a queue and you're just standing in line. You're like, well, okay, what can I do? Well, most people play on their phone. I'm like, well, I could play on my phone or I could do five minutes of like a, a kanji app to work on my writing skills in Japanese. And it's only five minutes. So for me also having those small increments is something that makes it easier because I think before I had this idea that if I wanted to study, I had to sit down for at least an hour. Otherwise it's not study, which is so untrue. It is so untrue. You could be doing a little bit here, a little bit there, and it adds up. It adds up a lot. It's the same like for, I don't know, you want to get more active and walk more? Well, yeah, you could walk for two hours, just straight up. Or you could walk a little bit here and there, take a walk in the morning, take a walk in the afternoon, one, one after dinner, for instance. And it feels way more doable. Because if you're someone that's really busy, you don't have those huge like chunks of times. So maybe you have 20 minutes here, half an hour there, and you got to make the best out of it. What, I, what else have I been doing? Oh, yeah, I shoveled snow for two hours listening to Russian music once. But I knew I had an italki lesson coming up. And it may sound silly, but also the fact that I'm only listening to Russian puts my mind, just, just my brain in the mood. Like, okay, it's Russian. That's the sound of it, the flow of it. And I do find that I sound better when I do that because I had that in my ear. Whereas if I were on the phone in French for two hours, yeah, you'll hear the French accent come out. <laughs> You know, but it's it's kind of natural. So it's it's just the the little things here and there, like how you're gonna you know use them. Or I'm having lunch, I'm watching a video in my target language on YouTube, something fun, maybe with English subtitles, because you know it's just it's just to get in touch. Uh, so you've given us loads of food for thought today, lots of great tips, and uh, I think we'll wrap it up with uh, the question we always ask people on this podcast, and that is, what would your definition of language hacking be? The infamous question, <laughs> well, especially since I've listened to all the episodes still now. So I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I may. But I would say language hacking for me is, and I'm half quoting someone because that phrase didn't come from me, but I think it's a very good one, which is find what feels good in the moment. So the find what feels good comes from a yoga teacher called Adrian. She's on YouTube. So just look her up. She's amazing. But I think it makes a lot of sense, but also to understand that what feels good may be completely different depending on when you are in life, the time of the day, how well you slept. or So it's a very important part of finding out what you like, what works for you, but also maybe being able to let go of it. You know, a lot of us, we bought that textbook and we want to finish it. Well, maybe you're never going to finish it. Or maybe when you started the language, you started with Duolingo because it was easy and it was fun. Now you're kind of getting bored of it and like it annoys you more than it gives you pleasure. Then get rid of it. It's fine. You can always take a resource. If you're not sure, put it in the box. You know, the box is still there. Put it, put it in a corner. You can reopen the box and take that again later. That's what I did with Duolingo when I started Vietnamese. I opened it. I was like, what's that? No, I, I, can't, I can't work with that. And then I came back to it a couple months later when I had a little bit of Vietnamese under my belt. And I was like, okay, now I can look at a sentence and not be overwhelmed because I don't understand anything. Really just understanding that it's all about you. It is. <laughs> be selfish. It's all about you. Figure out what you like and change it up. You know, we, our tastes change and it, it, it's fine. So no, no choice that you make is like irreversible. Like I stopped choosing this one. I, I can never get back to it. Actually, you can. Just do your own thing at your own pace. Very, very well said. Well, this has been a fascinating talk. I'm sure people will uh, find lots of tidbits to take away from it. And if anything we've mentioned today, we'll make sure we'll have links to them in the show notes. And uh, for people, if they want to check you out as well, we'll, we'll find ways to get them over to you. So thank you very much for chatting with us today, Leticia. And until the next time, I'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. And that's a wrap. What an interesting interview with Leticia. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways we've gathered. 
Benny, what was your highlight during this interview? Definitely plenty of highlights. And I like a theme that's come up in the past many times, and that's her thoughts on perfectionism. Uh, She said that whenever you think of how you would treat another person who's learning a language, like a friend, that you would be a lot more forgiving and kind and patient, whereas we tend to be very mean to ourselves. And it's very important to hold yourself to the same standards that you would hold a friend to, because you can really kick yourself when when you're having a, a bad day with language learning. So I really liked that attitude that perfectionism is this uh, exaggerated form of just being mean to yourself when it's impossible. Like we discussed, it just does not happen even for native speakers. So if you keep that in mind, when you're making mistakes, when you're struggling in the language and so on, don't try to talk to yourself like you're an idiot. Why aren't you getting this perfect? Try to talk to yourself like you would an understanding friend. So that was one of my uh, favorite takeaways. What was yours? Well, another part of that that she mentioned was uh, having many study sessions, you know, five minutes of drops while um drinking coffee, uh, working on her script writing while she's waiting for the microwave at work. I think that sometimes beginner learners think that it has to be a two-hour study session where your brain is melting out of your ears. And that's not actually the case. You can do low-hanging fruit. You can have fun in the language and still make incredible progress with that. So I, I too thought that there were just so many highlights. It's hard to mention just one. Well, it was a great interview. I hope somebody uh, has some uh, inspiration from it as they go ahead with their own language learning. And of course, if you're interested in the challenge that uh, we mentioned multiple times, we'll also have uh, links to that in the show notes. So you can check that out and join our own tight-knit community as we encourage people in their own three-month challenges. So That all being said, thanks again, Elizabeth, and uh, I will wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning. We truly hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, you can let us know by reaching out to Benny on one of his social medias. The social media handles are in the show notes. We love hearing from you. Thanks so much and see you next time.